We're halfway through the Acts of the Apostles, a book of the Bible that we've named as a series of lessons that tell about the hectic life of the early church. The joys, the sorrows, the disturbances, the disputes, the dissension. Dissension in the early church? What? You can imagine um, maybe bumper stickers on the chariots outside of Jerusalem. Christians dissenting and disputing the way of Jesus since 34 AD. Or how about this one? Jesus is the way. Yahweh, your way, my way, or the highway. Okay. Gerald wondered if I'd say something funny today. Was that all right? That was good. Okay, all right, all right, all right. All right. Just, just trying to keep the people engaged. Today's brewing dissension story is in Antioch, uh, a, t- a city full of new Christians, Gentile Christians. And this city is in modern-day Turkey now and uh, 450 kilometers north of Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas are encouraging the church in Antioch, and, and it's full of new Christians, Gentile Christians, who are celebrating all that God is doing and how God is opening doors of faith for all people. The promise of Jesus is coming to life when Jesus said in the beginning of Acts, you will be my witnesses, the Spirit will fall upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. And so Barnabas and Paul are elated. The good news of Jesus, the way of Jesus, spreading like wildfire across the region. What could possibly go wrong? Cue the somber soundtrack. Dun, 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 dun. Then certain individuals came from Judea and were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What? Paul probably cried out, I thought we covered this back in the white sheet coming from heaven story. Remember that? The Spirit says there's no distinction between them and us. If God gives the Gentile believers the same gift that God gave us when we believed in Jesus, who are we to hinder God? Well, apparently, Paul did not win them over. After days and maybe weeks of dissension and debate, Paul and Barnabas are then appointed to go to represent at a AGM in Jerusalem. The stakes are high, the future of the church hanging in the balance. Paul and Barnabas rally troops as they make their way to Jerusalem. It's probably a 20-day trip, so on the way, they're sharing the good news. They're winning people to the message of Jesus. People are being set free from the Roman Empire and offered the way of life, peace, deep, lasting, abiding love. And so they get to the assembly meetings, and they're filled with joy. They tell of all the peoples who are getting in on the goodness and wideness of God's grace. 
And yet they bump into that same message that they heard from the Judean Christians who'd visited them in Antioch. This posturing, this authoritative word, this wagging finger. It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. Oh no! You could just sense their spirit falling. And after days of debate and rallying voices for and against and telling stories and hearkening back to past policies and injunctions, alas, Peter stands up. He pleads with the assembly. Remember my story? God made a choice for me to usher in this new way. God's on the move, touching and healing hearts. The Holy Spirit is descending and indwelling all who believe in Jesus. So why are we keeping up the wall between them and us? Why put God to the test? And maybe Peter even said, you know, that never works out for us Israelites, right? Who are we to hinder God? God has always treated outsiders exactly the same way that God treats us. So why would we load these believers down with new rules that crushed our ancestors and crush us as well? We believe we are saved by grace. It's a lavish generosity. It's Jesus saving us. It's Jesus saving all. And God does not play favorites. Who are we to hinder God? God has made no distinction between them and us. If Peter had a greatest one-liners top ten list, I'd like to think these two lines would be at the top. And eventually, though in this moment things look a little dicey, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas do win the day. And that's hooray, right? Because 2,000 years later, we reap all the joys and benefits of what happened at that meeting in Jerusalem. Of course, we also inherit the ongoing drama because Jesus' church has been going to the ends of the earth for hundreds of years. And when we are at our best, we do take that good and radical welcome posture where we say things like, who are we to hinder God? And we say things like, God has made no distinction between them and us. And yet, sadly, we don't have to look too far to see that there's lots of contention and repeats of the AGMs in Jerusalem in our churches. Even this past summer, if you looked across the landscape of North American churches, you saw the United Methodists splitting. You might have heard about the Canadian Reformed Church in a place of division. And the Anglican Worldwide Communion was in a very tenuous situation this summer between the traditionalists and the progressives talking about same-sex marriage even getting to the point where some of the bishops were threatening to refuse to receive communion from other bishops at their Christ-glorifying conference. Now, none of us are exempt from this. We all get 
caught up in rule-keeping versus people-keeping. And you may have heard me say in June that even our denomination is struggling and made a decision about an identity statement at our assembly and a big decision that I think is changing the trajectory of our denomination. Because it, too, like what the Anglicans were talking about, includes measures of talking about the definition of marriage. And those rules and ideas in the future may affect us as a local church. So, so much heartache, so much division, so much posturing. And for a church like us, we don't want to be a bickering, posturing church. We want to look upwards and forwards. We don't want to look backwards or over our shoulders. And so a story like this in the Acts of the Apostles ought to be good news for us. May it give us imagination and inspiration and hope and energy to hang on to Peter's words, and I'd invite us to all do the same. Who are we to hinder God? Who are we to hinder God? God has made no distinctions between them and us. And we know that them and us can play out in lots of places in humanity, whether it's race or whether it's social status or if it is sexual orientation or it's religion or it's um, ability or non-ability. We Baptists, historically, have been pretty good at this. You might know the Baptist distinctive of soul liberty. Soul liberty, anyone? Soul liberty? It's this idea where we Baptists affirm a free common life in Christ. And I was reading um, a, a, a document released in 1997 by a group of North American Baptists. I was rereading re that this week, and it had um, names like Stan Grenz, uh, McClendon, um, Curtis Freeman, uh, even had another Canadian who was at Cary Theological College, Jonathan Wilson. And they wrote this statement where they are trying to re-envision and reinvigorate Baptist identity. And I'll put that in the in news and notes this week. And if you want a copy of that, I, I'm happy to email it to you. But they talk about Baptists as having this free common life in Christ. And the phrase that I wanted to share from that two-page document was, Baptists renounce coercion from the forces of nationalism, racism, ethnocentrism, economic systems, gender domination, or any power that resists the lordship of Jesus Christ any power that resists the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's this idea that I think echoes Peter, Paul, and Barnabas in today's story. This is gift and grace for all. This is what God has been doing since the beginning of time. God including all. God loving all. God desiring that all would be known. 
that all would be kept, that all would be cared for and consoled under God's everlasting arm. In Peter's closing part of his speech that we heard in today's reading, he quotes the prophet Amos, and he says, The Lord says, I will rebuild so that all other peoples will seek me, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. First Baptist Church, those of you worshiping on live stream today, you and I are called. We're fully included. We're blessed because of promises like these. So let's continue to live out of promises like this and put into practice that radical welcome, that big-hearted hospitality in our church as you journey the pathways of life in the coming week in conversations with people around you. Talk about Jesus as a Jesus who is radically generous, radically open-hearted, and radically loving. All under the banner of who are we to hinder God? Because God, we believe, is on the move. This living Christ who wants to surprise us this day, this week, in the coming months. And it's this work of justice and mercy that we are continued to be called to as we see and sense God breaking down distinctions, breaking down walls between us and them. Who is your us-them this week or this day? Maybe a relationship that's strained or that's edgy. How might the Spirit be saying there is no distinction between us and them? And we might pray, Jesus, Spirit of the living God, keep on unsettling our lives in the world. Jesus, Spirit of the living God, keep on being that dangerous and disruptive presence in my life, in the life of our community of faith. So we might continue to join you, Jesus, in your plan, in your dreams to shape our hearts in the way of God. O Lord Jesus, Spirit of the living God, break down walls between us and them. Make this place, make our hearts a place of belonging, a place of welcome for everyone and for all who believe.